of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. We're finally back. This is our episode about trigger warnings and violation and our holiday special most importantly and it's our holiday christmasy special so we just thought those go together well (laughs) and we're going to do that through the lens of paul verhoeven's fabulous movie l this is our first time recording in a while both our secretary and our horror of desire halloween episodes were recorded what seems like a lifetime ago now (laughs) was a lifetime ago we've both been sick and just uh, it's been it's been a fucking time mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're excited to share l which is my favorite christmas movie <laughs> your favorite christmas movie it's <laughs> true yeah get in that festive spirit <laughs> oh, this movie does get me in the festive spirit <laughs> i'm not even joking also, tell us about Elle. I actually only saw it recently, and by recently, I mean in the past two or three years, because that's how time works for me and my brain. It is so remarkable for a lot of different reasons. I love it for the complexity of the main character. I love it for the different power dynamics that it explores and that it leaves imperfect. And I... Love it for its ambiguity. So for those of us, those of you who have yet to see it, um, obviously, spoilers, the film is about a woman, Elle, Michelle LeBlanc, played by Isabelle Hubert. I can't pronounce. We're just going to pretend that I pronounced it correctly. Who is kind of a kind of a girl boss. Just a little bit of a girl boss. Just breaking glass ceilings. But... In a way that's actually super interesting and really cool. So Girl Boss, I feel like we always say very ironically and tongue-in-cheek of like, oh, it's a neo-lib who is in the corporate world doing finance with her RBG mug who voted for Hillary. And who is the other woman that everyone wanted besides Hillary? I forget. Um, anyway one of those but she's kind of also an ice queen like I was thinking how to describe her and the kind of energy that she brings and it's not just that she's a girl boss it's that she's actually ruthless like she's not a good person at all she's the head of a video game company that She runs with her best friend, whose husband she's carrying out an affair with. 
and they're trying to release this incredibly violent video game. So she's working with all of these male graphic designers that hate her because she's a hot, powerful woman who's an ice queen. And she's telling them to like make the scenes more violent. Yeah, make the tentacle rape scene like more orgasmically convulsive and more violent. <laughs> yeah. When they kill an orc, they need to feel blood on their hands. Thick blood. Thick blood. While she's navigating her work life, she is sexually harassed by an anonymous employee. So someone sends an email that replaces or puts her face on the video game character. On the woman being raped in the video game cutscene. Yeah, that she's developing and trying to make as violent as possible. So someone spams the entire office with those images. And she doesn't know who that is. And at the same time, she's also alone in her apartment because she lives alone. And someone breaks in a masked assailant and violently rapes her and then leaves. And as she's sort of coping with the aftermath of her assault, she just very calmly takes it all in and cleans everything up, puts everything back together and just resumes her life without calling the cops, without raising any alarms. And she slowly starts to communicate with those around her about what happened, but she's super withholding about it. And she's very strategic trying to connect dots. If it's the same person that assaulted her, who was also harassing her at work and as people try to reach out to her or try to offer her help, she pushes them away, which I think is just a very accurate description of a trauma response. So that's the first half of the film. What were your feelings about this film or what introduced you to it? I think I saw it for the first time when it came out, but it didn't leave as huge an impression on me. Uh-huh. Rewatching it the second time, I really, really loved it. Also, just for context, the director is Paul Verhoeven, who, you know, was the director of Benedetta as well as Robocop. <laughs> and also uh, the actress who plays Benedetta plays the religious wife of the man across the street. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on all the time in the film, and there's all of these intertwined plot lines. And the film, like, literally starts with the rape. Like, with the aftermath of the rape, Mm -hmm. when he's, like, getting off of her, basically, and when she's, like, cleaning up, it's so interesting to watch it unfold because, of course, you know, part of the film is that it's a mystery, that you don't know who the assailant Mm -hmm. is, that she's trying to figure out who it is that raped her, but also that the kind of pervasive misogyny about the world (laughs) around her it really goes into every aspect of her life Mm, in both like really small and massive ways. And so there really is this feeling of it could be anyone, you know? Mm -hmm. And it is such one of the things about the main character that's so fabulous is, is that she's not a particularly likable character. They're not trying to like Mm -hmm. make you 
necessarily sympathize with you. Like she's very complicated and and does like a lot of fucked up things within the course of the film. But it's so hard not to. Oh yeah, I love her. Uh-huh. Uh, by all means, oh, I love yeah, her. Fully. I'm just saying that yeah, they're not trying to make like a one-dimensional, unambiguously morally good character. Yeah, it's not a victim story. It's also not a survivor story either. It just sort of like throw mm-hmm. that whole narrative in the trash. It does such a good job of like the unfolding. Like for instance, the second scene in which we see a flashback of of the actual rape. It's when she hears her cat meowing and it gives her a flashback and it's because her cat was meowing outside of the door when she went to like let the cat in and that was the moment that the assailant like grabbed the door and like hit her in the face with it and like came in and forced his way in yeah it's such a good addressing of the way that like trauma works where out of all of these things in the film the trigger is the cat right Mm -hmm. like she picks up the cat after like you know she has this flashback and is like you could have at least scratched him like you didn't have to gouge his eyes out but like you could have at least done something because instead you know this memory is just the cat watching you know as as like a cat watches you know this kind of like wide-eyed like ah is obviously very eerie and very mm-hmm. feels very inhuman in the context of such a horrific and violent act yeah it speaks to the erratic nature of flashbacks of the impossibility to control what a trigger is so you were discussing off mic about okay how are we gonna talk about this how are we, are we gonna do a trigger warning and we decided speaks to the fact that it's not like the image of an assailant like the thing that brings the attack back is the cat meowing. It's something that is completely unconnected to the violence of what happened, but also inextricably linked and like impossibly tangled up into it. The cat's presence in the room like speaks yeah. to the trauma of what she experienced. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really powerful, as you said. And as you mentioned, there's all of these intertwined narratives And we find out that this isn't the only kind of trauma in her life, or we find out that her behavior is connected to prior experiences, the dark secret of her past, which is Mm -hmm. the fact that her father was a serial killer. So we get this second string of flashbacks. Wasn't it more of a spree killer? Because he did it all at once. I don't know how that works. Oh, a spree killer. Well, like, he was a really religious man and then went, like, house to house yeah. and just, like, murdered everyone that was in all of the houses, like, in one go. Okay. I think you're right. You're definitely right about that. Her father was an infamous mass killer, and she witnessed him burning the bodies. Or it's unclear what she witnessed or what she was and wasn't part of, but this originary trauma speaks to a mistrust of people and also a mistrust of the police and a desire to not be dragged back into the spotlight by calling the police for this other attack like the fact that she already identified as a perpetrator she never identified as someone who could be seen as a a victim even though she at that time like as a child was incredibly vulnerable but everyone's like what does she have to do with this terrible thing that happened and then even as someone that went through an assault she's worried about 
how she's going to be treated by the cops, how she's going to be seen by everyone around her. So she's very suspicious not only of everyone from the outside like coming in and like the mysterious question of who it is but then also of how is everyone going to treat me or how is everyone going to react so she's very very careful with her narrative and that's just so well done and the way that that unfolds is just so remarkable the most well-known image of this mass killing ends up being her as a little girl like a 10 year old girl covered in ash after her father has started like burning everything in the house and like right before they burn their clothes is when the cops come in. And so it's just this haunting image. And that that image is the violence where even to this day when she's much, much older, like, you know, has an adult son and everything, she still experiences harassment from complete strangers as, you know, like drinks dumped on her and just irrevocably connected to this thing that she was actually a victim of right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah the replication of that trauma and the rippling effects i always struggle with like i always want to go through things in a linear fashion (laughs) even if things are not linear it's my curse yeah like again there's so much going on in this movie like there's a lot of i i think again like we always go back to the family but just you know like (laughs) her relationship with her son and her mother (laughs) right yeah like her you know obviously her father is the beginning of this trauma but then she also has this terrible relationship with her mother who she's like deeply judgmental of because her mother like hires this sex worker who kind of like acts as her boyfriend and they like announce they're going to get married at this one point at the dinner party and at the christmas party at the christmas party yeah there we christmas go. film yeah <laughs> yeah and and she like laughs hysterically and like says like do you know how grotesque you are um this relationship between her and, and her mother is so complicated also i think partially because some feeling of resentment where her mother is still throughout the film trying to convince her to go see her father but then her mom dies like really unexpectedly mm-hmm. after she's like really mean to her and she like asks the doctor you're sure she's not faking it it's like no like she she may not wake up <laughs> yeah and then she doesn't she she dies and then there is such a cruel dismissal of the man who was like hired to be her boyfriend and and was like announced as going to be her fiance which is the thing that she then scoffed at going into her mother's house now that her mother's dead and this sex worker lives in the house and saying like well you never got married like this is my house like you don't own everything like you need to get out and then it shows a moment of cruelty from him as well where he references her father who murdered all of those people who has just died and said the bastard's dead now but at least I got to fuck his wife and so you know part of it is like his complete powerlessness like within the bounds of the legalistic family but also part of it is the perpetuation of the same patriarchal fucked upness <laughs> that permeates the entire film and so there's never any power dynamic that is left entirely uncomplicated within the entire film yeah the film like never allows any level of flattening like for instance almost all of the characters in the movie are white like with the exception of the son's girlfriend's friend who is obviously like the father of the child but like at the christmas dinner 
there's just like this really disconcerting racism that is like not confronted by the characters, mm. but is so strange in a movie that is like not addressing race at all. And the primary person that it's coming from is this religious wife of the neighbor. Mm. And so even within these women trapped in these intense patriarchal horror shows, the ways that they are still actively perpetuating and maintaining all of the other fucked up power that benefits them, even as they're ravaged by that system. Mm -hmm. So just like everyone is very cruel to each other. And then she also has this like really fucked up relationship with her son who, you know, she talks about, <laughs> she calls him like a big lout and how she like cannot, doesn't say this to him, but like has a hard time connecting herself to him like how did that come out of me where this like this big lout that has nothing interesting about him you know um, mm -hmm. she also thinks he's weak hmm? oh she thinks he's weak i feel like she's cruel to him in a way that like she's disappointed or kind of disgusted by his weakness and she hates his girlfriend who she thinks is like domineering and a bad influence yeah manipulative monster yeah. And it's interesting because his girlfriend is non-normative in a whole different set of ways. So if she's non-normative because she's a girl boss who's killing it in her workplace and who's assertive and cold, this girlfriend is like woke polyam feminist who's domineering and I think kind of a shitty partner. I mean, do we know son. she's polyamorous? She, she's just cheating. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> no i just assumed no i just assumed we can't put our own context into that. <laughs> what she's described as a feminist is like a bimbo who reads the second sex and as being no 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 that's not the girlfriend okay. that's the girlfriend of the husband of the husband oh, yeah that's shit. the guy who's the okay, yoga instructor my wires crossed okay no that's the new girlfriend of the ex-husband yes yeah who's younger okay we have this domineering girlfriend, I mean, who's really just abusive <laughs> to the son. Yeah. Um, she's, like, pregnant, and the son is, like, really heartbreakingly, like, invested in her and in this kid and, like, thinks he would be a good He's dad. A good partner, yeah. But then the, the kid ends up being black, and it's like, oh, their other, like, kind of mutual friend <laughs> is black, and it's, like, very obvious that it's, like, not his kid, but he still just kind of like refuses to not believe that the kid is his son that's kind of why i assumed they were polyam i'm not gonna lie i just was like okay he's handling the situation yeah i <laughs> i think i think that's that's too um generous of a read yeah like i like generous. i think the whole point is that it's like manipulation and and fucked up but i thought that yeah. was good no, 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 no. joke but no but then there's also and again how this film always makes us sit in the complexity like in this one scene where the son has like taken the baby of his girlfriend because his girlfriend has kicked him out of the house. So his mom's like, like, what the fuck? You can't kidnap a baby. And he's like, he's my baby. And it's like, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's this moment of like aggression where the son actually for the first time like shows aggression. And he's like a very large fucking dude. And like grabs his girlfriend when she has the baby. And while our main character her heroine looks on and watches and it feels like a very particular type of gendered violence like mm -hmm. you know the sudden even though there's this like very fucked up 
abusive dynamic in one direction, it then switches in this entirely different way. And you can tell that she has uh, some complicated feelings about that, that she like doesn't really address like everything else. Mm-hmm. The desire to see her son stand up for himself, and it's almost like she doesn't know what that ought to look like in a way that is healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does it mean for this big kind of stupid dude to like... To assert himself. <laughs> stand up for himself. Yeah. In a way that isn't violent or doesn't perpetuate some kind of violence. And that's a skill. It is a skill to stand up for yourself without either being branded the bitch or the asshole or in a way that isn't violent. And I know we use violence way too much as a word just to like continue with the plot um, in the linear way that my brain thinks. She's navigating trying to find her attacker and she's navigating but also reveling in the disclosure like when she tells people what happens and sort of gauging their reactions and she confronts one of the workers so she ends up finding out who it is that spammed the entire office with the clip of her being raped in the place of the video game character and she finds out it isn't the employee that hated her because of her power it's in fact this employee that is desperately in love with her yeah, it's the nerdy guy that, that she tries to get to hack the computers in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he ends up exposing himself. <laughs> um, and so she has this like confrontation with him where she finds out that it's him. And so she's confronting him. She's trying to figure out he's the man that attacked her in her house. And she says, and I quote, show me your dick and I might not fire you. And then he shows it to her and she's like nope it's not you but i just think that that dynamic is so interesting or that line is is kind of ironic obviously within her and her employee that she hires and then finds out that he's the one that actually made the video of her being graphically raped she does have power over him as this older successful woman but then he is also mm-hmm. participating in like the really horrific misogyny and he's kind of the good guy, right? Like he's the, you know, little nerd who talks about how the other guy who we briefly think is the rapist that works mm. at the video game studio is, you know, like such a dick. Yeah. She's confronting an employee about sexual harassment, but then she's also confronted by this larger issue or this larger problem of trying to find someone that had attacked her. I think this troubles the relationship between violent images and how they influence our interactions. So how the climate of her workplace was changed by the fact that all of her employees got this image spammed to their computers of her being raped versus the issue of her having to navigate living in a world where she had been attacked in her own home and her having to make the world livable for herself or for her seeking the truth of what had happened. And I think that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that it critiques how we so often conflate those kinds of violations just because like the word violation has become so expansive, which I'm very thankful for. I'm thankful that we have a really broad vocabulary to talk about these things as they happen. But part of me wonders and, I think part of me is kind of certain that this is also a critique of the kind of narratives that say a violent image is full stop that thing happening. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that like the violent image of like yeah. in the video game is very different than the violent video game image with her face transposed on it, non-consensually sent to the entire office, yeah. which is very different yeah. from her being raped by an assailant in her house. Absolutely. Which is also very different from the violence of the media when they took that image of her as a child victim, like her covered in ash, having witnessed the aftermath of her father's crime being put everywhere and her having to navigate that. So it just, I think, does a really nice job at showing us these different kinds of violations or transgressions and what it means to have to navigate them and the ways in which they are and are not interrelated or the ways in which they are or are not similar. And I think that it's really helpful in that sense. Or I, just, I love what it does with that. Yeah. Because they all like sort of come together in her narrative and they all are unique and very different violations that she has to use completely different tactics mm -hmm. to navigate. She's such a fantastic character in the way that she both internalizes like misogyny and but then also like navigates it, you know, like she briefly stalks her like husband's or like sort of ex-husbands, but you know, they're like still in love. But he, like, hit her at some point, so they ended up not being together, but still are very close. But this new girlfriend is, like, really young, and she's a yoga instructor. And she talks about, like, to her husband that a woman who's read Second Sex will chew you up and spit you out. <laughs> you know, that, like, it's like I'm not worried about the, um, I think she says big-boobed bimbos. It's like, why not both? <laughs> She's very much harmed by all these systems and then is also like very actively perpetuating in many different arenas. She's, I think also, and we'll get to this when we talk about the plot twist and we talk about the end, very calculated about the ways that she stands up for herself. So she is displayed as so fiercely independent, but she never quite does the thing, like, or she never quite says the thing she never quite articulates the harm. So even when she confronts, even when she confronts the employee, she's very round about it. And like even when it comes to the showdown between her and the attacker, it's someone else that steps in. So it's never her like actually. She never like punches back. It's never her like giving the final blow, which I thought was very interesting. Mm -hmm. she's seen the way in which your words and your image can be manipulated and so is incredibly specific and strategic about it, literally everything mm -hmm. while also being like deeply cruel and fucked up like a lot of a lot of situations yeah in some cases her cruelty feels measured or it's super reasonable so even the fucked up strange confrontation of the employee where she's like show me your dick and i might not fire you like just that again that line is so wild and it just such a like vulgar thing to say to, to someone but it's also like super reasonable like the only thing she knew at that point about her assailant was his dick which is fucked up it says something about the intimacy of those kinds of violations and it's her navigating it like it's really reasonable it's like the most fucked up thing to do in the 
crazy, awful situation to be in, but she's also acting very reasonably for the kind of trauma that she's experienced. And I just really love that about how that character is written. Um, we got to move on because I got to stop talking about yeah, this. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you, you want to describe the plot twist? So things continue to escalate with this potential attacker. You know, she, she goes and, you know, she gets pepper spray and like this axe and at a few points like after she tells her husband slash ex-husband there's a car idling outside of her house which she goes up to and and like breaks the window and just like sprays down the person in it and it ends up being her ex-husband who's just like worried about her (laughs) and um (laughs) and so it's just like watching trying to watch out for her But then at the same time, knowing that the attacker is like still present, like uh, she gets weird texts. One time there's like come on the bed and her laptop is open and has threatening coded message on it. So like during this entire time, she has been have this neighbor who is just this man across the street and his wife <laughs> is, is the actress that, that plays Benedetta, who's like a woman of extreme faith and they have a kid and like he's the one that calls the cops at one point and uh, says that there was a prowler outside of her house. And there's this one scene where she masturbates while she watches him set up this like large life size (laughs) nativity scene, like outside of their house with his family. And then she's like steadily sort of flirting with him. And then like, it ends up the the twist is is that he's the rapist. He's the assailant. Because he breaks back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she fights back and gets his mask off. And then it kind of kicks into gear the next part of the movie where they have this very fucked up sadomasochistic dance where they don't fully acknowledge what happened. And she like sort of confronts him at points, but is never fully forthcoming about exactly what happened and like at at one point he says that like the reason that he raped her is because it was necessary and yeah and so then it gets into this place where it's this almost this consensual non-consent to the point where like he starts to rape her at this different time that she's like very orchestrated and she makes some pronouncement of like fuck me like something where she's like actively giving consent and then he immediately stops and is horrified and is like, no, that fucks it up for him. Yeah, once the fantasy is broken. Yeah, once the fantasy is broken. And then that continues to escalate until this climactic scene where her father has just died in the prison. It turns out that like he killed himself to avoid having to confront her because she's going to the prison for the first time to talk to him. And mm-hmm. so he hung himself the night before. And then when she's coming back she gets in this like really bad car accident and she calls her best friend who doesn't answer. She calls her ex-husband who doesn't answer. And then she calls her rapist and he comes and very chivalrously like helps her get out of the car and like tends to her leg. There's all of these just like very ambiguous wild scenes like him dressing her wounds it's almost tender yeah almost tender but at the same time her like wanting some closeness from him yeah closeness or apology or fucking something mm. and then he can't 
give that, of course. And so it's coming back from the Christmas party, which he's also at, that she says, like, basically, like, this is fucked up. This is diseased that I have to go to the cops. I also think that the dialogue between Elle, so Michelle and Patrick, the rapist, is interesting when she confronts him. She says, it's twisted, twisted between us. It's sick, diseased. I was in some kind of weird denial, but I see clearly now. You don't expect to get away with what you did to me, huh? I'll do what I should have done at once. And then this, I think, is, for me, just so fascinating and amazing. It's not just about me. There's your wife, too, and others, perhaps, who knows? How many others that you've done the same thing to? I'll go to the police. I'll tell them everything. So the moment that it isn't just about her, it's when she finds the strength to do something, or like when it's not just about her desires, when it's about what this is doing to everyone involved. And I think that that adds like another layer of depth to her character that despite of her coldness or her selfishness, there's the really real wants to care about the people that she's close to, or even those that she isn't close to. So the other women that he's created this circumstance with, or his wife, who's also having to navigate a life with him. But I also think it's interesting because often people who experience sexual violence, they're told to think of the others. And that's the impetus to call the cops. It's like, well, you can't do anything about what happened to you, but what about the next one? I think that that's also a, another moment of ambiguity where the film shows us that dynamic and forces us to sit with it uncomfortably. Yeah. And so he's obviously like very disturbed by that and ends up coming into the house again to like try and rape her. But she fights back, but in this way that it's like she's not fighting back with all she can. And she obviously has like this strange ambiguity until she is like actually fully attacked and, and is like immobile. And then her son happens to come in and he hits the assailant over the head with a bat or like a piece of prod. What? It's a prod for like the fire. A prod. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And then there's like a piece of his, you know, very bloody brain showing out. And he, like, takes off his mask and just says, like, why? And she's, like, stupefied. Yeah, fucking why? Yeah. Why, asshole? <laughs> yeah, like, 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 why? Yeah, like, why would you do this to me? Um, mm-hmm. Before he collapses. And it, like, makes you rest in the ambiguity of it. And then our main character, she talks to the neighbor's wife, who's packing up her little nativity or her large nativity scene into a truck (laughs) and like apologizes. And she says like, oh no, like it's great. I'm going to be okay because I'm a woman of faith. And then she says that it's like, I'm glad you were able to give him what he wanted for a brief time. And before that, she says that like he was a good man, but had a tortured soul. And so like, she obviously fucking knew that he was like raping women yeah. instead of fucking like communication or anything. And like, while being this woman of faith, you know, just like allowing that to happen. And I think that's just the film in a nutshell that there are so many desires going in every single direction. And there's like so much need and want and so much violence. And instead of that being communicated, instead of, people actually making themselves vulnerable to each other because of their trauma. Instead, they Mm -hmm. do fucking horrific shit. Obviously the most horrific in The Rapist. Yeah, It's a deeply uneasy film. And so the one thing that we haven't talked about at all is, so her best friend 
is someone who she met in the hospital when she was giving birth to her son. And her best friend, her baby, was stillborn. And so she ended up nursing her son with her and they and they became, you know, really close. And so the main character, she talks about how her friend is in a lot of ways a lot closer to her son, more of a mother than she is, and that she waxes poetic about like maybe there was like some imprinting that happened between them that didn't happen between me. <laughs> but then they have this like deeply intimate lovely relationship it's by far the most lovely relationship in the film mm-hmm. at one time after like a dinner while they're drunk they like go and they just like cuddle in bed together underneath the covers and they reference this one time years before where they tried to fuck each other but they just couldn't stop laughing the whole time <laughs> classic classic yeah <laughs> and then they kiss but then also she's like fucking her husband which is like this plot that's underlying the whole film. I just want to reference the line that she tells to the husband of the best friend when she's breaking it off. So she says, so can we still be friends? You know what I mean by friends? No more fucking. (laughs) I love that because when you have to tell someone, can we just be friends? If you have to say it, it means that you weren't actually ever friends because there was never any friendship there. And then at the Christmas party, she just like comes out and says that it's her, like she's the one who was fucking the husband and it's like over now. And the thing that's really exceptional about the film, the final thing that it leaves us with is them kind of meeting up and her like very much forgiving her and, you know, talking about like, what did you see in him? (laughs) My boyfriend, like he, he was always shitty. And then it was like, yeah, it was just one of those things. They let this like violation of trust and desire over this like really in close intimate friendship and like talk about how you know maybe they're gonna share their house together now that the son has moved out and now that she's no longer with this guy and then the credits roll Mm -hmm. it's really beautiful and hopeful and it also just like draws such a distinction like very much you know women in love with men problems Mm -hmm. where desire is so different from commitment or liking you know where where like (laughs) like very much her like soulmate in the film is her best friend, right? They're like so deeply committed to each other in this way that like transcends all these harms, truly like wanting that continued life. But then like you don't control desire. And that, you know, as we've talked about many, many times, that desire is often the taboo. It's often the thing that is not good for you. And it's often flirting with some amount of self-destruction. And I think the end of the film at least gives us some amount of inkling into the way that like commitment and love outside of just a purely I I don't even want to say romantic love I feel like my current best friend are very romantic they are yeah the heteronormative heteronormative love yeah the script I guess outside of a script yeah outside of a script Mm -hmm. exactly that can persist even outside of the ways that desire and society and like the pervasive misogyny it's also really funny like thinking of it like versus Benedetta like Benedetta is like the lesbian movie that ends with <laughs> the embrace of like the church and Cicero normative you know where she just like leaves her yeah. like fucking lesbian lover that she's like escaped with to, like go back to I the know. fucking nunnery um but then like Elle is like the opposite where it's these like two straight women who have all of these relationships with straight men and just like the ways that they're fucking 
horrific. And yet their end game, right? Like that they end up, you know, as these like two women and they're probably like fifties, they're the ones who end up together and are that are really committed to one another. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. Like maybe part of the reason it was so impactful for me is just the way that I've been like forced to think about like power dynamics and, and violation and all these things because of my personal life. Also, there's something about the world of women in love with men who are also like traumatized by it and their desire is defined by it. That was always a little like mysterious and sad to me. I feel like a big cornerstone of culture very much feels opened up to me in a way that it didn't before. So maybe that's part of the reason the movie resonated so much with me, like watching it at this particular time. Yeah. Flirting with danger. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> well, and the desire to try to control it. She's violated in, in her own home and she's like picking up the pieces and she's an incredibly resilient character. And then she tries to navigate the situation in a way that she can get what she wants while also not getting hurt but that's just it's impossible given the dynamic it's impossible for her to not be hurt so even if we could create and i think that the film does walk that line of looking at what it means to consent to or to find oneself in that dynamic but just the ways in which we are also subject to the violences or the misfires of those kinds of dynamics despite what we may want or it shows us how we can be resilient and creative she is such a resilient and creative character it resonated with me with just the ways in which she takes her impossible situation and she makes it work for herself and it's just it's ruthless in what it displays and i just really appreciate that it did that i can't think of any other film that does such a good job at creating this sort of feminine character Mm -hmm. it's a very empowering film in a lot of ways i feel like rape revenge movies which l both is and isn't they typically are like hyper violent hyper violent on the part mm-hmm. of like some idea of like fantasy of murdering your assailant right yeah and that being hyper eroticized too yeah and it's like at points in the film she does have fantasies about if she was able to you know get this like i think it was like an ashtray and like beat her rapist head in mm-hmm. Or when she's like weighing, when she's holding the axe, like she's weighing all these different items. Mm-hmm. I think that the revenge, the rape revenge film usually goes into this hyper violence and that I find cathartic for sure, but also like I'm not able to relate to. And But like the thing that's so good about Elle is how she manages to within the system even as it manipulates her and even as she partakes in it that she's able to take some power back for herself but also not in a way that like you know requires her to like be like a girl boss killing her rapist i think that she is so careful about maintaining her sense of self and maintaining control of her narratives that's another thing that i found to be so powerful and that i really really resonated with the decision for her to not call the police it was her guarding herself against those that would tell her what she had experienced was otherwise than what it had been and her navigating the whole like mind fucky dynamics of this desire for this man that ended up being her assailant and her 
trying to work through the dangers of wanting him sexually, but then also wanting her revenge, but then lacking the actual power to do that in the sort of cathartic rape revenge story way of her having to find these alternative creative ways to preserve herself and i just thought that that was just so remarkable just the honesty of it the honesty of the kind of tenacity and the kind of resilience that it takes to pick up those pieces and to keep as much of yourself or the kind of decisions that you have to make with who you let in and who you don't and the ways that that ends up surprising us so the employee that helped her find the person that spammed everyone with the images of her ended up being the one who had perpetrated it so like the people that we think we can trust end up betraying us or the way that she betrayed her best friend so just those sorts of curveball the ways that we have to react to them i just think that that was very well portrayed and i I love that kind of honesty about the film. Yeah. The behavior of survivors often does not make sense Mm -hmm. to like an outsider. And it does a really fantastic job at exploring that. It's not about like justifying it to the people she does eventually come out of. It's about maintaining her own sense of self. Mm -hmm. Which she always does. Yeah. Especially because the character that they set up is one in which her entire sense of self and her entire like self-narrative was wrenched away from her violatingly taken away from her by her father and and by the entirety of the media with its complication of power dynamics it just shows that nothing is safe so the home isn't safe the seemingly nerdy employee isn't safe the relationship that you have with your best friend isn't safe because you could be carrying out an affair with their boyfriend husband but that complication of safety is a good thing we can't be safe it's so purposeful that the thing that is complicated as the real thing that is forgiven Mm -hmm. is the relationship between the two women right where they're able to maintain this like deep love they have for one another even outside of that betrayal and that's my favorite (laughs) christmas merry christmas (laughs) (laughs) so this has been our Christmas special. (laughs) Sorry for the content matter, but you know, I I feel like it's a good time when we're all snuggly and cozy in our beds to confront some of the more complicated parts about the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. Paul Verhoeven's L certainly helps us do that. Mm -hmm. If you would like to help support the show and keep us going, you can sign up at www.patreon.com slash drunk church and you guys are the real mvps we've been you know struggling these (laughs) (laughs) month for a variety of reasons and we just appreciate how supportive all of you are and we appreciate and have a lot of love for you merry christmas and happy holidays and winter happy cuffing season happy cuffing season that's right that's right get them in get them in (laughs) before it gets too cold out <laughs> before it starts to get too hot christmas